You're listening to audio from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more information about Pleasant Valley, visit our website at pleasantvalley.cc. So last Monday morning, I was heading towards work about 7 a.m., and I'm right out here in Pleasant Valley Road in, in front of the church, and I'm about 50 yards away from pulling into my office driveway right across the street when the old Buick just dies. Accelerator stops accelerating, steering wheel locks up, and she just coasts to a, a, a screeching halt right there in the middle of Pleasant Valley Road. I didn't even have time to, like, get it into the parking lot, and so I'm just stuck there. And I immediately assume the worst. I'm kind of a worst-case scenario guy. I'm just thinking my engine's shot or something like that. So I put on the flashers, and I do what any really handy, mechanically-minded man like myself would do, and, and I call AAA. And, and I said, look, I'm stuck here. And I said, I need you to send a tow truck, and you got to take me to J&L Auto down on 4th Street. And the, the, the woman was real nice. She said, well, sir, we'll, we can certainly do that for you. You're a faithful 19-year member of AAA. But she said, I, I just want to make sure. Are you sure that there's gas in the car? Uh, before, I, before I send out the tow truck, I was like, ma'am. I'm, I'm not a mechanic, I'm a preacher, but yeah, my gas light's not even on. Like, I, I, I've got gas. Like, I'm not, I was kind of offended that she would, you know, even ask the question. And so they send the tow truck. It'd be about 45 minutes. So I just leave my car standing right in the middle of the road, and I walk to my office. And uh, it's kind of funny. I, I took the picture from the office window. There's cars that just don't know what to do when they get to my car in the middle of the road. It's, excuse me, it's 7 a.m., so there's like school buses coming through. People are leaving their shift at the hospital. So there's cars stacked up and honking and swerving in and out, and I'm just watching the whole thing, taking pictures uh, from my office. But then about 30 minutes into the way, something tells me that I just need to make sure that it, it has gas. Now, the gas light never came on, so it can't be that, but I'd feel pretty dumb if the tow truck guy got here and it was just a gas. So I called Ed Force. I said, Ed, look, I'm sure I've got gas because my gas light wasn't on. But would you care just to come over and pour a little gas in there just to make sure? He's like, yeah, I'll be right there. So Ed Ford pulls up behind the Buick right here. At the same time, the tow truck gets there. So Ed's pulling in from the back. The tow truck's hitting reverse, and that little, you know, uh, siren deal's going off, and he's backing up. And then I was like, I'm not going to enjoy this conversation, but i got to do it. So I walked up, and I knocked on the guy's door. He's filling out some paper. I said, hey, before you hitch me up here... I'm sure I've got gas because my gas light didn't come on, but I, I was going to make sure. So he's going to pour some gas in there. Before you load me up, let's just make sure. He didn't say a word. He just looked at me, and he gave me, he gave me this look. Uh, and I don't blame him, and uh, you kind of know where this story's going. So I go back, and Eddie's pouring in the gas, and he said, all right, Junior, hop in there and fire it up. And yeah, So I, I turn the key, and it fires up like Hank Williams in a honky-tonk. There it goes, and uh, I'm not willing to go face the tow truck guy at this point, so I just kind of throw my head out the window and give him a thumbs up. Say, hey, we're good, man. You're, go ahead. You're good. I'll give you, I'll give you a five-star rating on the uh, satisfaction survey, and uh, just felt like the biggest dummy, and then Eddie just shakes his head and looks at me and said, son, just, just put gas in your car next time. Would you just do that for me? And uh, so there you go. Here's what I learned that day. Sometimes gas lights don't work. And the moral of the story is just because your gas light's not on doesn't mean you may not be running on empty. Now apply that to your life. For most of us, our dashboards, as it were, for our lives look pretty normal. 
we think we're doing well. We go to work, we go to school, we pay the bills, we take care of the family, we keep the leaves picked up in the yard. But while doing so, for many of us, this doesn't apply to all, but for many of us, we're doing so at a frantic pace because life is just very demanding. And so we're running around full speed, doing this, doing that. And what we may not realize is because life just demands you go, 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 and barely have time to breathe, we don't even realize that we may be running on empty because we don't see any warning signs. We don't see the light because everybody around you is doing it. Everybody's driving their kids around town like a chicken with their heads cut off. Nobody's slowing down. Everybody's always connected on these things, so we're constantly available and constantly connected and constantly feel the pressure to respond to every text and every email. But spiritually, some of us are running around on empty. Now, studies show that Americans work more hours than any other country in the world. Even when we do go on vacation, when it's rare, we take our laptops with us. Even on our days off, we've got these on, so we're constantly... So you're never really off as long as your phone is on. Kids are busier, and teenagers are busier with more stuff to do in this culture than ever before in the history of our country. So we're always running around. Many of our kids have more activities than we do as adults. Many of us struggle to say no to people And so we say yes to things we don't have time for. And so for many of us, our life is go, 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 serve, 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 do, do, do. And for many of us, we don't have the ability to just slow down and sit at the feet of Jesus. Disconnected to just sit and B. Some of us feel like we are in sin if we stop doing. Well, if any of that can relate to you, then the Lord Jesus has what I hope will be a word of liberation for us this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It's a familiar story. We're talking about pursuing intimacy with Jesus. And the irony of pursuing Jesus is it sometimes requires sitting. Verse 38, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. And Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Ladies, imagine if Jesus showed up to your house, picking up socks, dusting, a lot to do to make sure Jesus has a nice welcome. So Martha's distracted with all this serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister Mary has left me to serve alone? In other words, Mary's down here listening to you, and I'm up here making sure the cornbread's not burning and getting the house picked up. Would you tell her to help me, Jesus? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing, Martha, is necessary. 
Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, let's start here. Martha often gets a bad reputation in this story. Many of us kind of wrongly demonize Martha and make this a story where there's a good character and there's a bad character. There's a villain and there's the hero. That's not, I don't think, the point of the story. Let's just be honest for a moment. The world doesn't function without Martha's. <laughs> without Martha's, there's no kids' ministry back there. Without Martha's, most of the things that are getting done aren't getting done. So the point of the story is it to throw Martha under the bus, because without Martha, nobody's eating dinner tonight. And nobody's got underwear to wear to work tomorrow. So don't misinterpret this and, and make Martha this, this wicked character. That, that is not the point of the story. And on some level, you could see Martha's anger with her sister, at least on a human level, as justifiable. I mean, imagine if Jesus was coming to your house. I was like, Mary, could you at least help me pick up the restroom? Jesus is here. What we don't often interpreting this story is that the story begins in verse 38. Martha is the one that welcomes Jesus into the home. Martha desperately loved Jesus. And while she had a different personality from Mary, she had a different wiring, Martha wants to give Jesus the best thing she can give him. She wants to have him a very clean, prepared, hospitable home. That's not a bad thing to do. So as a general rule in life, we all are a little more like Martha or a little more like Mary. Okay, but can we just say that sometimes... Those of us that are more like Mary, we kind of enjoy just resting more and being. Sometimes we need a little more Martha in us, and we need to get up and serve. Because, listen, following Christ isn't only sitting and listening. It is sitting and listening, and we're going to talk about that for most of the sermon. But, but it's getting up and serving Jesus. It's getting our hands dirty. It's following Christ and living like Christ who spent time with sinners, who shared the gospel. It's sacrificial. It's giving. It's not always easy. So sometimes we need to get off the church pew where all we do is listen, and we need not only be consumers in the church but investors. Many of us take and take and take and receive and receive. But for some of us, the word from Christ is, are you giving anything? So sometimes we need to serve in kids' ministry. Sometimes we need to show hospitality to families in the church or to strangers in our neighborhood. We need to share the gospel. We need to be making disciples. We need to invest in people. We need to do something. Practice your faith. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers also. So some of us needed to hear that right now. But for others of us in this room, that's not our issue. Some of us don't have any problem going and doing and serving. In fact, we have the inability to say no, which is the other extreme. Most of us have plenty of Martha in us, we do a lot of doing. We're always going. 
And we're like Martha in that Jesus says to us in verse 41. Look, this is a, this is a subtle rebuke. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Jesus sees a connection between the inability to slow down and worry and anxiety. So you could reword verse 41 with modern-day vernacular. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about all the things. Work, finances, kids, little league, bills, friends, church, bunko, whatever you do these days. But like Martha in verse 41, if we're just honest, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of our lives are characterized by anxiety and worry? Because Jesus knew Martha's heart. And I'm sure Jesus appreciated the, the clean house and the cornbread. But, but, he, but he sees past all the doing, and he looks into Martha's heart, and he said, Martha, you're, you're an anxious, troubled woman. You get stuff done, but if you're angry while you're doing it and you're bitter at other people because they're not carrying their load, something's missing. So this is the main thought for the day. I want us to ponder and ask the Lord this as we work through this text. Could it be that the root cause of much of our anxiety and worry It's rooted in our inability to just stop and sit and rest at the feet of Jesus. Because we are the most anxious, troubled, medicated people in the the history of the world. Now, I don't say that thumb and stones. I've been medicated, so I'm not, like, condemning any of it. I'm just saying we're the most anxious people ever. We are. Could it be that that's rooted in the inability to slow down and sit at the feet of Jesus. That's the question I want to propose and make that argument from Scripture. Now, here's why, though, it's so counterintuitive. Here's why it's so hard for us to slow down and listen and make pursuing Jesus not a subcategory of our life, but the driving force of our life. So that Jesus isn't just another item on the checklist. He is it. It's hard because, A, nobody will ever pat you on the back for sitting still and just being with Jesus. The people we promote, the people we pat on the back are the people that won't stop, and they keep going. Man, look at that guy. He's killing himself for the glory of God. That's what gets you accolades. Martha is the one who will get praised by most people in the house, not Mary. But not only that, if you slow down and begin to make the priority of your life sitting and being with Jesus, if you do that, you'll get criticized. Ask Mary. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary as Martha did, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And so Martha went to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and do something. So Martha calls Mary out right in front of Jesus and the whole dinner party. But Jesus has a different word. Look at what he says in verse 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, 
You can almost hear it in his voice, can't you? You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. See, Jesus says the one thing, the necessity of life is spending time with me. One thing Jesus says in verse 42 is absolutely necessary, and it's knowing Christ more. And then he says in verse 42, Martha, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So what is the good portion? It's apparently being in the presence of Jesus. Nobody could take that away from you. They could take our money. They could take our health. They could take our job. But nobody could take away from us the eternal, abundant life that is found by knowing and abiding in Jesus. Jesus is the good portion. He's better than all of it. And he's inviting us in for more, to pursue him more. But to pursue, you got to be able to slow down paradoxically. Mary must have heard Jesus' teaching from John 15. Mary emulates Christ's instruction in John 15, 4, when he says this. Notice Jesus' instruction to weary Christians who are exhausted and running on empty, though many of us don't know we're running on empty. Abide in me, Jesus says. That word abide means remain, stay, be still, abide in me, and I in you. Remember we said that last week, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God will often reciprocate our posture towards him. Abide in me, I'll abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, by the way. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that is the person that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Four times in two verses, we see the invitation from Jesus to abide, to remain. Or like Mary, to sit at the feet of Jesus. But that's hard because there's so much to get done. We're behind at work. The bills need to be paid. The gutters need to be cleaned out. Leaves need to be picked up from last fall. Oil needs changing. Got to go to the dentist. All this stuff going on. Wanda's got to get the gymnastics. Little Junior's got a spelling test tomorrow. Birthday parties to go to. All this is good stuff, by the way. Many of us are getting a lot of stuff done and it's generally good stuff. But are we getting anything done that really matters is the question. I mean, are we getting done what really matters most? The message from Jesus is not stop taking care of life, stop paying the bills, stop going to work, Stop cleaning that. He's not saying just go sit on a boat for the rest of your life and read the Bible. Stuff's got to get done. It's not the point. The point is, is our priority, is our focus that which really matters most? Well, what is it 
that matters most. Jesus tells you in verse 41 and 42, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, all important things, cooking and cleaning and work and paying bills and kids and all that's good. But one thing is necessary. And that one thing apparently is being with Jesus. And here's what the bonus is, really. Jesus says in John 15, when you take the time to slow down and abide in me, that is actually when you end up bearing more fruit. That only works in the kingdom of God where everything's flipped upside down. This seems counterintuitive. It seems like if I take time to be with Jesus, I'll get less done on my to-do list today. But in all actuality, that's when you really bear fruit. Productivity goes up, not down, because you have Christ abiding in you, and the power of Christ can do more through us in an hour than we could do on our own in 10 days. Jesus created the world. Imagine if we let him abide in us and energize our spirits and work through us. That's how you bear fruit. But the secret is slowing down and abide. It's a faith issue. Many days I don't have enough faith to give Jesus more of my time. Because the, the, the list is usually longer than the hours in the day. Jesus, I know I, should, I ain't got time to spend time with you. Man, that is a lie the enemy would have us to believe. So here's what we do. In our fast-paced lives, we often try to get just enough of Jesus to survive or to appease our guilty Christian consciences. I haven't read my Bible in a few days. I need to at least read it for a few minutes. Okay, so it's not like we just stop being a Christian altogether. Most of us, we're still going to throw up our prayers before we eat, before we go to bed at night, right? But that's not abiding in Jesus, is it? Some of us just want the Burger King drive-thru version of Jesus. We want to pull through the drive-thru, get our Jesus Whopper, and go on our way. Get this little fill-up, keep going, get back to what really matters, all the busy stuff in life. But, but being with Jesus is less like the Burger King drive-thru and more like going to Grandma's house for lunch after church on Sunday. Right? Where you take off your shoes and you stay a while and you don't get in a big hurry. Because what Grandma is offering you right there in her kitchen is a lot better than what you're going to get at the fast food place down the road. But you got to be able to abide for a while. You see, Jesus isn't a gas station where you pull in and you just swipe the credit card. You ain't got time to go inside. You swipe the card so you can get back in your phone and respond to a few emails real quick. But no, Jesus isn't like that. Being with Jesus biblically is more like a day at the spa. It's probably an appropriate illustration more so for ladies than men. I don't know too many spa-going men, uh, but, you know, you, you, where you go and you just, you're kind of going to make a day out of it, and you're going to be refreshed and relaxed and, and taken care of. This is Jesus' invitation for us, is to come and remain, to abide and stay for a while. Jesus is not a, a spiritual five-hour energy drink. No, no, Jesus is living water, he says that is sustaining and empowering so that you'll never thirst again. And when you soak up more of Jesus, here's the beauty of it. You don't just get more spiritual energy and more uh, 
fruit bearing in you, but, but you know him more. And to really know him, you got to spend time with him. Same way with a spouse if you're married or with your kids or your friends. You don't get to know people on Facebook. You get to know people by spending time with them. My mom's dad, uh, my papa Stalins, who some of you feel like you know him because I talk about him so much, uh, was one of my heroes. He went to be with Jesus in 2005. Um, some of my most precious moments in my life were uh, in college, spending time with him. Growing up until college, I would swing by my grandma and papa Stalin's house to ease my guilty conscience. And I'd go in there, and I'd hug them and say hi and eat one of Grandma's fried bologna sandwiches and, and leave because I, I loved them, but I was busy. I thought, you know, had to go play basketball, very important things to do. And so I'd just pop in and out. Then I went off to college. Somehow the Lord I began to mature me and, and showed me the, the wisdom and the value of getting to know my grandparents. Well, about this time, my granddaddy got dementia, and um, we had to take his keys away from him. It was the hardest day of our lives up to that point. So what I would do is because granddaddy couldn't drive anymore, I'd come home on the weekends from college, and I would load him up in that red and white 1992 Ford F-250, and I'd just drive him around for hours. Same F-250 that he used to pull the cattle trailer behind, going 80 miles an hour around a curve, one hand on the wheel, other hand on the pocket knife, cutting an apple all at the same time. Used to scare my grandma to death. Same red and white truck he used to drive around that farm every day. And he missed it, but I would try to let him be able to relive it. So I would drive my granddaddy all throughout the county to the farmland he would own, and we'd even drive down the West Tennessee. And though he had dementia and sometimes couldn't remember what he did that morning, he could remember the, the land he sold in 1964. And he could remember the first farm he had. And, you know, and he remembered all these things. But the best thing about spending time with granddaddy in that truck is I got to know him. He would just tell me his story. And there was so much, he was 85 years old, so much life in there that I didn't know was there. He told me the story, for example, about how his daddy was a violent alcoholic that screamed and yelled and abused my granddaddy and his mama and his siblings so that my granddaddy had to drop out of school in second grade to go work to provide for his family. Imagine the pressure as a second grader to feel that. And then he would tell me the story uh, about when he was 17 years old, left Trigg County for the first time in his life by himself, 17, caught a train to Detroit, Michigan, saved up just enough money, bought two Model A cars, drove one home, pulled the other one behind him with a chain, sold them, and started Stalin's Auto Sales, which is still in business today. 17 years old. And he told me about the first time he met my grandma and how he fell in love with her. And he told me about how a, a, a man at his church growing up taught him how to tithe as a kid. He said, Jameis, if I earned a nickel, I'd give at least 10% of it to the Lord. And he taught me that from early on in life. So those trips with my papa and his F-250 were some of the best days of my life. I'd give anything to go sit in that truck with him again because I would just drive and listen. I'd just listen and I got to know all the wisdom, the life in him. But it took just being with him. 
Pleasant Valley Community Church in 2020, Jesus is inviting us to go on long, regular truck rides with him. He wants us to know him more because nothing will satisfy us like knowing him more. Mary got that. She abided in him. And Jesus says in John 15, 4, this is the invitation. Personalize this for your life. Abide in me and I in you. Now, how do you do that? Well, there's two primary ways. One, you abide in his word and you abide in prayer. It's a relationship. You talk and you listen. Look at what he says in John 15, 7. This is how you abide. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's the word of Christ. That's the word of God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. That's prayer. So right here in one verse, prayer and reading the word, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Do you see what Jesus does? He says there's a connection between abiding in his word and having prayers answered in your life. Who doesn't want more answered prayers? Well, what are the prayers that the Father is most inclined to answer? When we pray his will, right? Well, how do you know God's will? Well, the word of God is the will of God. So when you stay in the word and meditate in the word, your heart gets in tune by the Holy Spirit to the will and word of God so that when you pray through the Holy Spirit, you find yourself instinctively praying God's will. And when you pray God's will, the Father is more inclined to answer your prayers. Not only that, though, a relationship with Jesus isn't just about speaking to him in prayer. It's about listening. This is a discipline that I'm really bad at, not simply in my relationships, but with the Lord. Many of us are good at talking. That is, we're good at throwing up prayers, which is fine, but we don't do a good job of listening. It's hard for Jesus to get a word in sometimes. But Mary understood this. Notice what Mary is, is doing and is not doing in verse 39. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and what? Listened. She listened to his teaching. Notice it doesn't say anything about Mary doing all the talking. She's listening to Jesus. So in our pursuit of Jesus in 2020, pray, 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 live in the word, 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 but carve out time on those truck rides to turn down the radio and to not talk, but to listen. you got to give the Lord space to speak. Remember, the goal isn't just to get through. The goal is to abide and listen. Can Jesus even get a word in with some of us? For me, sometimes I have selective hearing with God. There's got to got to carve out the space. And we got to be like that Old Testament prophet who said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So hard for us to do that. Because life's so busy and our phones are always ringing. But did you know that if you will live in the Word and pray and just develop the discipline of listening to the Lord, He will speak. He'll speak through His Word. He'll speak through the Holy Spirit. And so, listen, when you live in the Word and then go about your daily life, you ought to assume that the Spirit of God living inside of you didn't leave you when the Bible study was over that morning. 
He goes with you to work, to Kroger, to the Planet Fitness, to, to wherever you're going. And so as you're going about life, if you've been in the Word, the Spirit of God is, is leading. He may say, go share the gospel with her. You're generally not going to hear an audible voice. But if your heart's in tune with the Father, he's, he's communicating. He's leading you. We're sheep. He's a shepherd. Jesus doesn't simply lead you while your Bible is open. He leads you throughout the day. Are we listening? He may say to you, hey, call and invite that family over for lunch because they're lonely and they don't know anybody in the church. But you've got to pay attention. He may say, hey, uh, those neighbors of yours, you need to go knock on their door and just reach out to them. You've got to pay attention. Sometimes you just have people or ideas come to your mind. You're like, well, I haven't thought of her since high school. Well, that may be the Holy Spirit laying them on your heart. Pay attention and listen. But in conclusion, part of what it means to abide in the presence of Jesus is to learn to abide in his love. Now, this is foundational. Some of us won't be able to abide in Jesus and slow down because we'll feel guilty if we do or we just feel unworthy to get that close to Jesus because some of us are afraid if we get closer to Jesus this year, he'll see something in us that he won't like, and he'll be repulsed. But look at what Jesus says in John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That in and of itself is 50,000 sermons. The way God loves Jesus is the way Jesus loves us. It's unconditional love. It's unbelievable. But then he says, abide in my love. This is an invitation from Jesus to stop striving to perform so that we can somehow earn more of God's love. He said, don't do that. The invitation from Jesus is slow down, abide, don't do, just be, just abide in my love. That is so counterintuitive for us. But this invitation is only possible because Christ died on a cross. What do I mean by that? This reminds us that, listen, you are not accepted by God because of what you do but because of what Jesus has already done. What are you going to do now that Jesus said it's finished? Love from God isn't something we work for. It's something we receive. It's already been purchased. God is able to freely love with no strings attached because Jesus has died for every sin. Some of us just need to hear this today. You can just sit and be. You don't have to do anything because Jesus has already done everything. You can take a whole day. You can take a season. You can take that slot every day and do nothing but be with Jesus, and he still loves you the same. This is why most American Christians don't take Sabbath. Whether that's Sunday for you or some of us have to work on Sunday, it's another day. It's about we have the inability to take Sabbath because we can't imagine that I could do nothing all day and God would still love me. The point of the Sabbath is trust me. It's a gift, Jesus said, from the Lord to us. Take a whole day and do nothing and I'll still love you the same. Wow. 
many of us are missing out on this gift of grace in our lives, the inability to slow down. But it's hard for many of us because we just don't feel worthy to really be in the presence of Jesus. We're afraid that if we stop going at it with all that we have, that somehow Jesus will stop loving us or he won't be as happy with us. And so it's hard. I shared this story, I think it was two and a half years ago, and I just felt led this week to share it again, um, why this is so hard for me. And I, um, over the past few summers, I've had the opportunity to go to Oklahoma uh, to preach at a high school church camp there. And our students were there last year. It was awesome. But uh, two summers ago, right before I was supposed to get up and preach to all these high school kids, um, the music team did a song that at that time I had never heard before. And, and, and the, the lyrics are up here on the screen. Here's what it said. It said, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Then it goes on to say, in my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Now, so I never heard this song. So I didn't have like this connection to it or anything previously. And all of a sudden, I keep, I'm on stage in like three minutes to preach. And all of a sudden, as we sing that song, I start crying, which is uncharacteristic for me. I start crying. What's going on here, Lord? Say, well, here's what God said. My whole Christian life, I've always felt like I've never been able to measure up spiritually. Grew up in a pretty performance-based church and, and home and, and culture. So I always felt like God was mad at me. And to this day, I could stand up here and preach to the cows come home that God loves you. And I believe God loves y'all, but it's very hard for me to believe that God loves me. And I've wrestled with that my whole life. When I think about God, I typically think of an angry stepfather. He's disappointed in me again, and he's scowling at me. And rightly so, because I know how big of a screw-up I am so much of the time. But in that moment in Oklahoma, out of the blue, I heard those words, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. And as I sing those words that day, God touched me. It was a supernatural experience in, in many ways. I experienced the Father's love in a way that I had not before. And in that moment, it, it wasn't like an actual vision necessarily, but it was the darndest closest thing to it. And in that moment, for the first time in my life, I saw God smile at me. 35 years old at that point. The first time I really believed God was happy with me. And it's as though God's Spirit just confirmed to me, and He used that song that day James, your father is happy with you. And it's not because of who, of what you do, it's because of who you are. You're a child of God. Our value, church, isn't in our performance. It's in who we are. We're his kid. He chose us. We're in the family. So the pressure is off. You can just be his kid and abide in his love. That is the invitation in 2020. Take God in his word. Some of us need to stop arguing with God. and You just need to let him love you. If he didn't want to love you, he wouldn't have chose you. We don't know better than the Father. He is inviting us in to rest and abide in His love. Let's bow our heads, and I just want to pray that over us. 
Because I know some of you are just like me, and this is so hard for you. You're never going to feel worthy. You feel like God's ticked off at you right now. You feel like you're in his doghouse again. And I'm telling you, it's a supernatural gift of God to help us see his smile. It is not in many of us intuitively. So, Father, I pray that you would give that gift of grace today that you gave to me two and a half years ago in, of all places, Oklahoma. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and give us spiritual eyes to see your love for us. That the Father has a house and he's carved out a room just for us and we belong at the table, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. God, help us to rest in Jesus' work, not our own. God, set us free from being slaves to workaholism and going and going and striving. God, teach us to abide. Give us faith to know that you love us because of who we are. And oh God, give ourselves to you. Help us. We need the work of the Spirit and we won't believe it. God, if there's anyone here today that is not saved, and I know there are people, Lord, and they they definitely don't know what any of this means. So, God, would you open their eyes to see Jesus as Savior and Lord, and they too can have a place at the Father's house if they'll believe in Christ and receive His blood and forgiveness. So God, as we sing this song now, may it be a pleasing song in your ears and may it refresh us and may we believe every word we sing in Jesus name we pray amen let's stand and sing together